go ahead and invite Don up for our message today. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Okay, I'm going to believe you because I don't know if you're lying or not. But um, it's, uh, it's good to be here uh, and, and grateful. I always love, uh, out of all of our different New Life locations, this is by far my favorite worship space. Uh, and so I enjoy being able to be here. And even though Bobby tested negative for COVID, I think he's testing positive for jet lag and is being a baby. So uh, we'll see uh, how that goes. But, uh, but no, Bobby and Jeanette are my wife and I, some of our, our best friends. We love them, uh, really enjoy getting to know them and, and that. And so it's, it's really good to be here. Um, and, and I'm just going to keep us going in, in, throughout the parables. Uh, we've been in it for a couple weeks. We'll be going through it really leading up to Easter. And I love, uh, I've always loved the parables. Part of it is because my education style lends me to shapes, colors, and simple stories. So, um, so I, like, I, I like this. And, and a lot of it is when we look through these stories of Jesus, what we find is uh, when people are asking complex questions or he's dealing with really difficult topics is uh, rather than what we're used to today with people answering them with oversimplifying and framing things in ways that don't make sense uh, Jesus is good at I had a seminary professor said you know that the job in scripture is to take the cookies off the top shelf and put them on the bottom shelf where everybody can get them and when God when Jesus shows up and he talks about the kingdom of God right eternally complex and and multifaceted it doesn't make sense because who knows what time frames don't exist there and all kinds of weird you know there's no sun because so all these things we're like i don't understand and jesus just shows up with simple stories to give us to give us a, a full image in a simple uh, couple characters and as he's doing it uh, and we'll find this today he's also crossing cultural and social lines that that would have offended people uh, so it's not just the story itself it's the people he chooses to use in the stories and how he chooses to tell the stories and all these ways that get us to think about a world that's so different than what we're used to that doesn't have some of the confines that we have that's opened up a lot larger to i don't know something that feels just a little bit more like the kingdom of god and so as we go through here what you'll see is jesus ample answers uh, or, or, or illustrates these complex things in very simple ways for the sole purpose of helping us understand the beginning, and then once you start chewing on it and diving in, you'll start to realize that he meant a lot more than what he just said, but as we chew on it and sit in it, we start to unpack this thing more and fold it out to what it becomes. And so as we go into uh, today, there's two parables we're actually going to go through. Both of them have to do with prayer, and Jesus gives one right after the other. And so uh, what I want you to think about is this statement or this idea is that how we approach God reveals so much about how we understand God. Uh, how we approach God reveals how we understand God. The way that we come to Him uh, in prayer, the way that we worship, the way that we, uh, when we talk about Him, the way we talk about Him reveals uh, our, our actual understanding. Now that makes sense because the way you probably talk to me reveals how you think about me, right? I don't know this guy. He seems bald. Uh, he, you know, I don't know what age, right? I get anywhere between 55 and like 30, so I am somewhere in that range. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, I, I don't know, if you don't know me, you're going to approach me different, right? Now, some of you I've seen before, so when I walked in, you came up and said hi again. You didn't have to introduce yourself because we've met before, and I'm looking at some of you that we've never met. So the way you approach me would be based on your understanding of me, right? The same thing's true when we pray to God. Uh, how we go to him is going to be uh, some of that. So there's going to be things we don't understand. And it may be because we've not spent enough time. Uh, there's going to be things we struggle with. And it may be because we need to sit with him and struggle with it. And, and so when I think about that in prayer, if I were to go back to at least my perception of my earliest understandings of prayer, 
uh, was this. I, I rem- probably the best imagery I could put to it would be Santa Claus, right? Not equating God as Santa Claus. I'm just saying, hold, hold with me. I promise we'll go somewhere good here, right? Um, it, when I would pray, right, I would go to God, in theory, and I would kind of explain or try to get him to, you know, agree with the fact that I'd been good for a while, and then I had something I wanted, and I just wanted that from him. And then I would leave in hopes of not knowing whether I was going to get it or not, but, you know, let's just hope that it ends up in my favor, right, should the time come, right? And so in a lot of ways, or a vending machine, that's another imagery I've used before, where it's kind of like I go to God, I put in my prayer, and I hope the right thing pops out. Like that's, that's what my understanding prayer, very transactional, very, if I do this right, then you do that, and then this all works, uh, which really starts making you struggle when you don't get anything back. And you start to wonder, is God broken, right? It took me a while to realize it may have been my, my thoughts on prayer that were broken, but in that. Uh, Later, I would say that my prayer shifted to something like this, where uh, the longer I spent in church, and the church that I was in definitely used the King James Bible, uh, you know, God's version. And so uh, growing up with that, uh, I felt like if I was going to be good at praying, or if I was supposed to, you know, really master this thing, that I needed to have some kind of, I basically needed to sound like William Shakespeare uh, writing the 151st Psalm. There's only 150 in the Bible. My job was that next one. And so, you know, thee thou thoweth and like eloquent lilies of the valley uh, and high birds on the mountaintops that swoop down into our valley. I don't know what any of it means, but it sounds great. And that's why I felt like my job was, was to kind of create some really eloquent thing that was going to make God happy. Uh, Then later, uh, because of some of the preachers I started enjoying and things, I started wondering, maybe my prayers just aren't loud enough, right? Maybe I, maybe I need to up the volume. Maybe I need like some of that passion, like my, my soul needs to engage in this thing, right? Um, and, and maybe if I prayed longer, like then that would help. Maybe my prayers are too short. So what I really need to do is I need to up the volume, right? I need, I need to yell a little bit more. That would probably help. Uh, and, and I really need to like, you know, I'm, I'm good at a good 30-second prayer. Let's stretch this puppy out to a good six-minute and see how that gets us, and maybe that'll be the thing that happens. And so in my struggling trying to figure out how do you talk to a God that you can't physically see or physically, you know, like audibly hear and all these kind of things, uh, I was developing all these different ways that really didn't make sense to anybody. I, was, I had no idea what I was doing, but I thought, well, that guy prays like that, so I'm going to try doing those kind of things. And it wasn't until I had a guy, I was probably right around 19 or 20, um, who who really for me was one of those people, like when you were around him, he, he just was a lot like Jesus. Uh, the way he talked, uh, the way he moved, the way he treated people, the way he smiled, the way he thoughtfully, uh, and, and I'm, I will just talk and talk and talk until I arrive to a good point. He, he would sit and be quiet and he would close his eyes if you asked him a question. And, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm super extroverted, so I don't like silence. And so it would be, you're sitting there watching a guy just kind of and then once he felt like he had something worth saying, then he would answer your question. I was like, why are we waiting so long? We could just, you know. And so, uh, but I remember one day I walked in uh, and he had, and this was in his office, uh, he had, you know, his desk and his chair. He had a chair uh, that he would sit in and he would face the other chair. And as he was praying, he had his eyes open and he would talk to the chair as though Jesus was sitting there and just as somebody talking to another person. And I remember thinking how weird it was, how ordinary it was. Because to me, right, it was either transactional or it was loud and, and, and long and passionate or it had to be, you know, I had my idea of, man, maybe it needs to be this or, you know, William Shakespeare and all these different things. And to see it so normal 
And to see when he was talking about things he cared about, his eyes would tear up. And when he was uh, uh, talking to God about things that, uh, that, that he thought was funny, he would laugh while he was praying. And, and it was weird to me how ordinary it was. And all I'm saying is this, is along the way, I stopped caring about what I was praying for, and I started caring about how I was praying. Stop worrying about the, 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 the words I was using and more, uh, where's my heart at while I'm praying? And so in all of that, I want you to do this, is if you got your phone or one of those old school things like pieces of paper and pens, uh, I want you to write an answer to this down. Think of something that you have deeply desired from God, but along the way, somewhere, you just stopped praying for it. Something you were, you've been asking God for, uh, but somewhere along the way, you stopped praying for it. Uh, and, and take a couple seconds, not a whole lot, because I don't want to turn into the long preacher just because we spent time quietly. So, so something that you've been asking God, or you had been asking God for, really something that was a, de- a desire, it still is a desire for you, but you just stopped asking God for it. Because today, we're going to look at two different stories that Jesus told together to help us look at our prayer life and adjust our life towards God. And in these stories, um, what we find is uh, Jesus uses extremes, which is pretty true of almost all of his parables. Uh, not all of them, but it, it, I would say it's frequently used, this idea of extremes. Uh, the first parable will be someone with extreme power and somebody with uh, extreme kind of poverty and no power. Uh, the second one will be someone with uh, extreme position, uh, respectability, all those kind of things, and somebody uh, w- with extremely horrible reputation, right? And, and uses these stories to help us kind of figure out what is our voice and how do we pray when we pray to God. I want you to find uh, a new voice in prayer, or I'm hoping and praying for it, to find a new heart to pray from, and to find a new persistence, uh, an enduring prayer, one that just doesn't stop because you didn't get it when you wanted it at the time we wanted it in, but one that endures a little bit longer uh, when it takes a little bit longer than what you wanted it. So the first thing I want us to look at is this. Um, is, is, uh, we'll couch this as kind of like Jesus' extreme lessons in prayer. right? So the first one is this. Uh, pray with extreme persistent faith. Pray with an extremely persistent faith. And faith, not like, you know, the cute cursive word that you put on your wall at home because it looks really precious and it makes you feel close to God. Like, like you trust Him. Like faithfulness. That, that even when you can't see it yet, you still trust in who He is and what He's doing. You've not given up just because you haven't seen it yet. So when we pray, right, here's the, the idea, is that we're praying with an extremely persistent, we're going to keep pressing in kind of faith. Um, and, and so we'll be in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and sometimes we need the reminder, and I say that because, hi, my name is Don Kaufman, and I always need this reminder, that you can keep praying. Why? Because God keeps listening, and he's not done working. Because he keeps listening, and he's not done working. And, and here's what I love. In the Psalms, you've got even King David, right? Will, will In his prayers, he'll say, God, I don't even know if you're listening to me. Like, God, uh, would you stop and hear me? Now, you don't have to say that to someone that you don't think is actually listening to you. So it's natural for us to get caught up in this, but what you find is David, uh, later on in his psalm, will always end with, but God, I'm going to trust you. Even though I don't think you're listening, even though I don't think you see me, even though I don't think you care about anything going on in my life, uh, my history with you has proven that you do and that you have. And so I'm going to trust in that, even though I don't see it right now, because I know there'll be a time that comes where I can look back and see that you've been working 
this whole time. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Helps if your Bible's right side up. This isn't a good start. Um, promise I've seen one of these before. Here we go. Uh, 18, verse 1, right? It says this, and then he told them, or Jesus told them a parable uh, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart, right? Uh, they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So, so the reason why Jesus is telling this story, right, is number one, you should always pray. No matter how big it is, no matter how small it is. Sometimes we won't pray because it feels like it's too big. God doesn't care. He's dealing with like Ukraine's happening. So he's over there trying to work on that. The, the, the stuff going on in my life is not a big deal to him, right? So it's, uh, what, what, or what we have is maybe too small, right? Or what we've got is too big and, you know, man, I don't know. God's usually good at like blessing food. That's about all I ask for. Uh, and so beyond that, I don't really know what he does. And so we live in this world. And Jesus' call is this. This is for us to be reminded. We shouldn't stop praying ever. Uh, there's a continual prayer here. Not like spend your time on your knees in your bedroom uh, trying to pray to God and work this thing out, uh, but, but kind of this idea where prayer becomes, talking with God and communing with God becomes as natural as breathing. Right? Uh, when you want to get frustrated and you feel like, all right, God, I know you're here, you know, so I'm just going to keep doing my thing, and you know, you're late for your bus or your train, and so then you're kind of working through some of that. And the whole time it's just this continual, ongoing conversation, prayer with God. Ephesians chapter 6, 18 says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And it's the reminder of there's nothing God doesn't want to hear. And so usually when we stop praying, it's because we stopped, not because God stopped. And the invitation is, hey, whatever you got going on, keep it coming. Right? God's like, I'm not sleeping tonight. So if you want to wake up at 3 and do this, we can do it right? Go to bed, wake up, and when you wake up, I'm right here. Let's talk some more, right? And so it's this idea, but not just that we should keep praying, but that we shouldn't give up. How often have you given up and stopped simply because you didn't see any movement by the time you expected, right? And that's most of it for me. I'm in a hurry. So God, I want you to be in a hurry. I don't know if you've ever been with God before. Uh, he's not much in a hurry, there's some things that are urgent for him, but a lot of stuff he's like, hey, I've never began, I'm never going to end, i got time, right? Uh, and so that, that puts a little bit of pressure on me where I'm like, oh, I kind of want to have this done by three because i got other stuff I want to move on to. Um, and, and so when we, when we look at God in these kind of ways, we start realizing we're the ones that give up, it's not God. And the, the reminder is to be continually prayerful. Now here's the story that he gives. In verse 2, I want to make sure I'm reading the right stuff. All right, verse 2 and 3. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around anybody like that before, right? Uh, didn't fear God, didn't really care what God had to say, didn't think God had power, didn't think God could do anything. Not only that, he didn't really care what people thought, right? Uh, again, fill your own imagination with contemporary figures, but we'll keep going, right? Uh, in verse 3 he says, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So you got this judge uh, who really is the ultimate seat of authority and power in his community, and you've got this widow who is the complete opposite of any of that. And, and so he doesn't really care what God says, uh, and, and ultimately, if he doesn't care, who cares? Uh, but there's something about the widow that does care. And so what we find here is this. In this person or in this story, there's so much brokenness around us, and not just because Satan is at work, but oftentimes because God's people aren't. This wasn't just a judge in a random city somewhere uh, around the world. This was one of Israel's judges. 
uh, commissioned by God in the Old Testament to uphold uh, uh, justice, to uh, seek out and help the oppressed, to uh, give voice to, right? You're here to make sure justice happens. That's, that's your role. And here we've got a guy who's in a position who doesn't care about the God that give him instructions to it and doesn't care about the people that he's supposed to be giving justice to. But we've got a widow who has need for someone like that. God's instruction to Old Testament judges was out of their fear of God. They should always look out for the oppressed. So what happens when you find somebody that should but doesn't? Should be. Should be fearing God. And because we fear God, we're looking out for the people that no one else is looking out for. Because God is. But then when you have someone in that spot who should be, but then they aren't, we fall into problems. So the judge is supposed to be the one in power who looks out for those who are left out. But like you and me, sometimes it's easier just to not be bothered and to do nothing. Right? And it's not just people in positions. It's you and I who live in our day-to-day life. It's easier to keep walking. It's easier to not roll down the window. It's easier to not stop and do anything. It's easier just to kind of get home because dinner has to be made and we got to get uh, kids in bed and we have to make sure this stuff's done because then we have to wake up. we got a very full day tomorrow, so if I spend time here, then I'm not going to be able to do We just don't want to be bothered and we don't want to take up more time. But in this story, uh, the widow becomes the best example of the oppressed, and here's why. Culturally, right, first century uh, A.D., uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, this kind of Jewish-Palestine area, Israel-Palestine area, and when you look there, what you find is this. In this context, as a woman, she wasn't even valid in court, meaning she could have seen a murder, and she could have witnessed to the murder, but they wouldn't have taken her word seriously simply because uh, she was born with different chromosomes, right? And so because of that, in front of a judge, Culturally, they wouldn't have even listened to her if she had something to say. The second thing isn't just the, the woman factor, it's the widow factor. Here's someone who typically, culturally, would need a husband, uh, if she had something in court, would need a husband to stand there, and she doesn't have anyone to advocate for her. So she's kind of just out there on her own. And not only that, but she's extremely poor. Because widows were extremely poor. And so in the reality is when you've got a judge who doesn't really care what God has to say, doesn't really care what people think, uh, and, and typically, here's how it would go, right? I know nothing like this ever happens in Chicago, is you'd slip him like a 20 just to get to the front of the row. She can't even do that. She can't bribe her way forward. She can't pretend her way forward. She can't like Mulan this thing where she gets in front of the king because she pretends and all that kind of stuff. She, she's just out. And so you got a, a judge that should be You've got a widow who can't, and in the middle of all that, we start to realize we're in a spot, she keeps wanting justice, he keeps not caring, so what do we do? This woman is coming to the judge for help because she has someone coming after her when she's already got so little. It's not just her social standing, she's got people that are preying on her because of her standing. Do you know what it's like to have nothing and no one, and you're just struggling to be seen and heard? Let alone in front of God. And you've lost it and you feel abandoned and you feel quiet and you feel like nobody sees you and you feel like nobody hears you and let alone you ask God and it just seems silent on that front too. This judge, the story's not over, that's, okay, let's pray, no, it keeps going. But the judge has extreme power and the widow has an extreme need for someone to intercede. And then it goes on and says this, verse 4 and 5. For a while he refused, but afterwards, right? For, for a while he's like, man, get out of here. But, but after a while, um, I lost my spot. 
for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. So he knows this about himself, right? Uh, He says, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. (laughs) Right? I'm just going to yield because I want to get her out of my way. I don't want to be bothered, so I've kept saying no. Now I don't want to be bothered, so I'm finally just going to say yes. This has nothing to do with compassion, love, or desire for justice. He's just annoyed. Right? And here's the reality. You and I will do the exact same thing. Because we don't want to be bothered, we don't want to be bothered. And if somebody gives up really quick, we win. If somebody doesn't give up really quick, they're going to win. Right? And all the imagery and story here is simply this. Because she didn't give up, the judge yielded in her favor. He doesn't want her bothering anymore, and he doesn't want her ruining his reputation. And that's that last part. I don't want her uh, right, to come and attack me, or in uh, the ESV it says this, uh, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I don't, I don't want to have to struggle because she won't go away. right? He's just trying to relax and take it easy, and she's making him look bad. And so in verse 6, it says this, right? And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen one who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I know I I skipped versions there real quick. But Jesus didn't tell this story to equate God with the judge. We were like, okay, cool. If we just bother God a lot, then he'll finally give us what he wants. Seems manipulative, and I think God's bigger than like, oh my goodness, Don, just stop talking, right? And so so the imagery here is not how, you know, look at God. He's very much like the judge. It's to say, even if a godless, compassionless person who's in a place of authority, who doesn't care about what he's actually supposed to do, even if he will relent, to someone who's persistent, right? How much more will God for his children want them to have? You get the image? Even if the unjust judge will respond based off persistence, patience, and perseverance, will not God respond for his children? Uh, the judge acts because he doesn't want to be bothered and doesn't want to look bad. God acts because he loves his kids and he loves justice. God's promises uh, quick justice, but have you ever noticed that God's idea of quick are different than ours? And I love this, as I was studying this, a guy, Warren Wearsby, who used to be a pastor and professor here in Chicago, said this, God's delays are not the delays of inactivity, but of preparation. So oftentimes, what I've noticed, if I were to look back and take a sober analysis, what I would find is this, a lot of times it wasn't God saying no, he's just like, no, not yet, you're not ready for it yet. There's stuff in you that's not ready. If I were to give it to you, you'd say thanks, you'd take it, you'd run the other way, and, and, and the bridge between you and I would, would separate. What he says is let's build that bridge so that when it finally comes, you'll be a constant reminder of who gave it to you and we'll stay connected. So when Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What we need to evaluate is our, and, and evaluate in ourselves and ask is this, when God comes to me, does he find faith? Faithfulness. Do, do we trust him? Do we give up because we put our quarter in and we didn't get the answer to our prayer out? Uh, do we just stop believing in Santa because he didn't give us the shiny red bike? Do we stop believing in God because we wanted it now and it didn't happen? Does he find faith or does he find hurry? 
okay, God, if you're not going to do it, I guess I'm going to have to do it again for you. And we go off into a broken version of what we want, and it's not good because we did it. And then we wonder, why is this broken? God, why did you let me do this? Right? Usually we're in too much of a rush for relief that we miss what God is preparing in us. We forget God doesn't care about the end result so much as who we're becoming in the process. He's moving, but will he find faith when he shows up? So what is Jesus telling us to do? Because God shows us, he's still listening. So keep praying. Because God shows us, he is still working. So keep praying. And I remind myself, and this may sound cheesy to you, but I'll write it at the top of a page before I start writing out a prayer. Prayer just slows me down, or writing slows me down, so that's helpful, uh, is, is uh, the idea of praying attention. Now, I know that that sounds like a cheesy 90s shirt for youth groups, but hang with me, right? Uh, praying attention, right? Because oftentimes, right, I'm not actually trying to figure out, God, where are you? And what are you doing? And what should I be learning? And how should I be shaping? And if I'm praying that way, it starts helping my attention focus not on the end result, but what God's doing in the process until we get to whatever end may come, so that no matter how God answers the prayer, I've been with Him for the whole journey, so whenever we arrive to whatever His answer is, I've been ready for that. Does that make sense? And so in this, the longer I pray, the more I'm able to pay attention, not just to the result, but how God's working before I can see the result and i love the image of this persistent widow the poor the powerless the one that has no ability to say anything to anybody and expect anybody to listen but just because she still trusts that she can get justice for the issue she's up against she doesn't stop because she knows where the power rests if the judge says that it's going to happen and god says listen Keep praying because uh, the closer you draw near to me, the more prepared you'll become so that when justice comes, uh, it'll come at the right time and you'll be the right person to see it in the right way so that when this thing unfolds, it'll be the right time, the right person, the right way, the right process, not just microwave because you wanted it now, right? The second uh, lesson we get in prayer is this, right? If we're looking at Jesus' extreme lessons on prayer is for us to pray with extreme, genuine humility, right? Now this would go against uh, Don Kaufman 2.0 that was praying Shakespearean for the 151st Psalm, right? And so, so in this, what we have is not, not trying to overinflate, not trying to sound impressive, not trying to, uh, right? Here's the reality. Uh, we're humans. We're probably not going to impress God with our vocabulary, right? He knows words we haven't figured out yet. So I don't think it's going to be like, wow, four syllables. That's impressive, right? We've been hanging out in the two to three world for a while, okay? And so as we go through this, what we start to realize is it's not about uh, the, the words we're choosing to use so that we come across a certain way. It's the place where we're praying from so that we connect with God from a genuine heart, it's not about signing elo- or, uh, sounding eloquent, using the right words, or even being able to come up with the right words. Jesus even says, you know, don't, don't just repeat yourself often and use these big lofty prayers. Because oftentimes, if we can start leaning ourselves that, well, if I have to pray this prayer, or I have to say these words, or I have to do these things, what we're really trying to perform is more of a Harry Potter spell uh, that gets God to do whatever our incantation lends him to do, rather than approaching uh, the throne of grace with confidence like Hebrews says, so we can find our ever-present help in our time of need. So, so it's not just about, you know, if I, if I wave my prayer around and say the right words and do it all, you know, pronounce everything correctly, then I'll get what I want. But more so, right, if I bring myself to a place to realize who God is and who I'm not, who God isn't and who I am, 
and I know what I'm praying for, and I can come with a, right, a Paul, or King David in Psalm 51 talks about a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Uh, Romans, Paul instructs the church uh, that the real act of worship uh, is to be a living sacrifice, to, to just throw everything out there and put it all on the altar and give it to God, right? Uh, God cares about a humble, genuine, honest disposition in your heart and the words and in the words of your prayer. That that shows up in what you're saying and how you're saying it. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 says this. He also told this parable to someone who trusted in themselves what, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So, so this parable, he tells us on the front, he doesn't always do this, he lets us know, hey, for those of you out there that are like this, I got a story for you, right? Uh, Jesus tells his audience and his intentions again. Uh, those of us that are confident in our own righteousness, I got this. I feel good right? Uh, confidence isn't always bad so long as it's placed in the right place. I'm confident that God's going to do what he wants to do. I'm confident that God is who he says he is. Uh, I'm also confident that if it were up to me, I could break this thing a couple times every day and I have and will continue doing it, right? So if I, I can be confident in things about me, but I'm more confident in who he is, right? And so um, uh, they were spiritually full of themselves is kind of the idea that God's giving here. Good before God because of what they've done. That was the perception. And they looked down on everyone else. That was the second deal. Right? That there's confidence in their own righteousness, but that they also look down on everybody else. And here's a good evaluation. If you find yourself looking down on everyone else, it probably rolls back to you've got an overinflated view of your own spiritual standing. There's a problem when we are spiritually confident but socially condescending. And Jesus has something to say about it. Uh, in verse 10, he says this. Uh, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, right? Uh, think about it this way, uh, equating a seminary professor and a crooked politician. Uh, equating uh, a neighborhood's respected pastor and also the guy that's like selling stuff on the corner. So these two guys roll into the temple to pray. The Pharisee, verse 11 says this, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other man, extorters, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, right? I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I have. Uh, what the Pharisee is thankful for is that he has uh, has, that he has had more power, that he has had stronger resistance, that he's had uh, moral superiority than other people. You know, God, thank you that all these people say yes to all the bad stuff, but man, I've just been able to say no, because look at me, right? I can tell you why this guy's marriage is falling apart. Look at all the decisions he's making, right? And the image <clears throat> we start getting is, this guy may not have slept around on his wife, but his wife doesn't love that he's the one that lives in her house, okay? You get the image? He may think, oh, look at me, and everyone's like, yeah, look at you, you know, kind of thing. So, um, so when we look at this, it sounds like how most of us have started our arguments or any given topic over the past couple years. At least I'm not dumb like that guy. I don't know how they could ever believe anything like that. There's no way that you could be an intelligent person and come to that kind of conclusion. He's just doing it in the spiritual sense. Even like this tax collector, and he says it so that the other guy can hear him. I do all the spiritual practices, I'm extremely devout, and I'm exact in how I do it. Thank you that I'm not evil and corrupt, and that I'm better than all these other people, right? Here's the hard part for us to understand. 
he was doing all the right things. You should tithe. You, you, should, uh, uh, you should fast. You, you should pray. You, you should do all the things. Because Jesus says, hey, when you're fasting and when you're giving and when you're doing all these different parts. And it's easier for us to justify what we do than it is to justify our motives for doing it. Well, I do it because, you know, that's just what you're supposed to do. Or I do it because there's something in my heart that just causes me to want to be more like God. And so to be more like God, I need to release things that I'm more prone to holding on to, right? It's a pride versus humility. So in verse 13, it says this, but the tax collector standing far off, right? Uh, And the idea is this, not detached, but distant. So it's not that he's, the other guy was standing aside, probably to be heard. This guy's standing at a distance so nobody sees him. There's a difference when you're praying from the side so that everyone hears what you're saying and praying from the side so that nobody hears you or knows that you're in the room. And he goes on and says this, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's too broken and distressed to look up. Beating his chest is a cultural sign of mourning, grief, or repentance. Kind of this idea of whatever's in here is broken, so I'm hitting it to get it moving in the right way. And then his prayer is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The original hearers would have had this, right? A tax collector in this context would have been someone who grew up in a Jewish home, probably went to school with him, but then the Roman Empire pulled him out and said, hey, we could make you really rich so long as you like bleed your people dry of all their money. Because this guy could knock on a door and say, hey, uh, taxes today are $400, uh, but you know we're going we're gonna to up it up to 700 because if I get the extra three, then I can do what I want. And you would have to or else they would come arrest you. So they were known as being like, this is the dude that grew up with us, right? And now we've got a guy who's risen to a place who's bleeding his people dry because legally he can, and he's in wrong standing. So, so it would be like this. Uh, choose your politician of preference that you cannot stand right now. And I'm sure if you don't have one, God bless you, pray over us, right? Uh, but, but the rest of you, right? And think of a 10-year window, pick your, pick your least favorite one. What happens when you see that person with a broken heart on their knees crying out to God, God, would you have mercy on me? Culturally, they would have said, no, not that guy. Or there must be something up, right? Where's the cameras? He's doing this for a photo op. And you start to realize, as we start viewing this guy the way everyone else would have, there's no way that he's honest. There's no way that he means it. We trust more the guy who looks and acts and feels like and culture like he's got it all together than we do this guy we can't stand who's on his knees before God saying, have mercy on him. And he says this in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Right? This man went home to, uh, another way of looking at this, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. Both men stood before a holy God. They went to his house, they went to the temple at the time, and that is where they went to talk. One spent his time arrogantly displaying his prideful heart, the other one spent his time bearing his genuinely humble heart. So how do you come to God and how do you stand before others? When we pray, right? Jesus gives instructions on this. But when we pray, right? Is, is it in a posture that just says, I'm going to assume that I've got it all together, so God, here's what I'm looking for? Or do we pray in a way that comes humbly before a God that just says, I, I, what I need from you is what you've promised. I need grace. I need your mercy. There's stuff broken in me that I need you to fix. There's things going on in me, right? Uh, not the issues uh, on WGN tonight, 
uh, the issues from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed that I've done that's going on in me. God, would you, would you fix this, right? Would you, would you help me bring a crane in and pull this log out of my own eye before I start looking at what's going on in the specs everywhere else? Uh, and then he goes on and says this, I tell you this man rather than the other, uh, sorry, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's from God. Uh, that's Jesus saying that. As a reminder that this isn't like a, a cute proverb that, that you know, uh, it's a good thing to keep in mind. Like, this, is, this is a way of viewing the world. It's a way of living. It's a posture of walking around in your day-to-day -day life. It's a paradox of the kingdom of God. It's, it's upside down. If you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, the Spirit will transform your way of thinking. Right? Uh, it's not uh, like walking into Ellis Island, you know, when that was happening, uh, and, and you kind of just do the immigration thing and then you go about your life and cool, uh, you, you know, you, you passed, I guess. We're good now, right? Uh, but it's this idea of it's not just uh, uh, belonging somewhere different, it's becoming the kind of person who belongs somewhere different. In the way that we view, in the way we talk, in the way we pray, in the way we view ourselves, the way we fear God, and the way that we treat other people, if we keep puffing ourselves up, man, listen, uh, you're going to be humbled. God promises it. And it doesn't mean that he'll be the one doing the humbling. Uh, it's just the pride comes before the fall. Proverbs. You'll trip yourself up because you start looking up rather than looking down. Because you think your nose belongs up there rather than like this guy who prays earnestly face bowed beating his chest god have mercy on me a sinner if you work to live from a humble posture god is going to take you places you've never imagined because he knows he can trust someone like that uh, the arrogant the holier than thou guy went home looking as good but living as empty as when he walked in the tax collector with a reputation and sin uh, baggage went home with a weight lifted off of his shoulders justified before god made right before god in good standing before god uh, the pharisee lives as though he's right even though he's buried under the way of his sin his heart's crushed his soul is bound uh, but socially he's got money and position the tax collector walks the tax collector walks away with a full weight of sin being take on, taken off of him because he's walking in freedom some of us the only thing holding us back from the life we've been called to is that we're still sitting on the throne in the center of our lives and not God. But living as though we're, you know, oh, God's just blessed me, I guess. God's just have favor. Thank you, God, that I've had the strength to say no to all the bad stuff, right? Unlike this guy. Thank you that, uh, you know, I've, I've just, I don't know, I've just always been able to resist crack. I guess that's, you know, I'm just a strong person. You know, I don't know why all these people seem to struggle, but thank you, God, that you've given me the fortitude, Right? And we start viewing things in this way. Oftentimes, the only thing holding us back from what we've been called to is that we're still sitting on the throne of our lives and not God. Uh, Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He said, if any of you wants to be my followers, if anybody wants to be my disciples, you have to give up your own way. You could stop there, and it's like, that's going to take me a little bit. I, I like my way because I like it done in my time. I like it done the way I prefer. I like it done uh, you know, to the detail level that I appreciate. I actually like these colors and not those. So I, I prefer it my way. And God says, would you give that up? Would you take up your cross? So it's not just following the Jesus that says, beckon the children to come unto me. We like that Jesus. What about the one that sacrifices himself for the good of us? Gives up his life for the benefit and blessing of us. He says, then you can follow me. 
Because if you're still carrying what you want and you're still expecting not to suffer, the Jesus following life may not be for you. Because if you keep trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your, for your life for my sake, that's the content, or that's the key there. Not giving it up so you are people-pleasing, not giving it up so you give somebody else what they want, because you're giving it up for the sake of God. Because God, whatever you want to happen in my life, that's what I want to happen. So if I give that up, right, uh, he says you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but forfeit your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The issue is the Pharisee had gained the whole world. People looked at him with respect. They looked at him with honor. They looked at him with dignity. They, they trusted him because he was the Bible scholar, so whatever he said must be true. But the reality is he had forfeited his soul because he loved so much sitting on the throne. Some of you have stopped praying, so you took your eyes off what God was doing. Uh, my invitation is this, is to bring it back up is to keep praying, is to pray uh, for God's justice and His righteousness, to pray for opportunities and healing and comfort. He is faithful. He's faithful. Show Him that you are too. That you're not going to give up because you believe. God, I think you got this. The other part of it is this. Some of you continue to pray. You come to worship. You show up to your groups. Uh, you might even, you know, if you're really holy, you'll listen to Caleb and Moody as you're going to and from. The reality is, as you're doing all that, a lot of us have lost sight of how much God's grace is holding how, uh, us up. And because you're too busy tearing each other down, we forget how much is torn down in us. And we need to pray like the tax collector. Probably less gimme, 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 right? Less, oh thou theeth of the heavenly hosts and the whatever, right? Or man, I just, I gotta get loud and passionate. Or God, I put my quarter in, but your prayer, you know, my answer didn't pop out is to pray more like the tax collector that says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then we confess, here's what I've done today. Man, I passed up enough people that you needed my help, and I could have helped them. People needed my time, but I was too busy. I'm exhausted. I got enough going on. God, I, I repent of that, right? And we start realizing the more of our brokenness we put up, the more God's healing shows up, and the more stronger we are, not because we pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps, because in prayer, God strengthened us to be the ones who don't overlook the people that need help. To be the ones that aren't overshadowing and coming up with our own opinions of sectors of society and cultural things and problems in life and people that are a struggle. As God starts strengthening us to actually be the people that does that. Maybe there's some of us that's kind of like the Pharisee or this unjust judge in us and we need to repent and come to Jesus like the tax collector God have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, maybe in some of us, right? Uh, there's something like that widow or something like uh, that tax collector that shows up in us where we realize we, we, we feel like nobody sees us, nobody knows us, nobody's got their eyes on us, nobody hears us, I'm struggling and nobody seems to care. God's word in all of this is, listen, you don't have to go to a judge to get that. You can come to me. And because I love you, I'm gonna walk with you. And we'll get to the answer to the prayer you've been praying for, but just be willing to pull out a machete and carve a new way through a jungle, not having to take the straight highway to get to there the quickest way. Does that make sense? Uh, would you stand and pray with me? Uh, Father God, I, as we pray, um, not knowing but assuming, 
that there's some of us who continue to live out life um, still walking through the doors to come into a place like this, but probably uh, like that widow or like the tax collector, uh, hesitant uh, because we know what we've done. We know who we've been. Uh, we struggle with guilt and shame of who we are and what we've done. And God, my prayer for us is this, is that we like them wouldn't stop showing up because you haven't. That we wouldn't stop praying because you've not stopped listening. That we won't stop praying because you're not done yet. And God, that we would see that before you give us what we want, you want to repair who we are so that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find ever-present help in our time of need. And God, for some of us, we need to get back to praying for things that we gave up on to the God who never gave up on us. And God, for a lot of us, there's things in our lives that we, uh, we wrote them down before. We just stopped praying because we didn't see anything happen. And God, would you help us go back and see that maybe you were moving? Maybe you were speaking, maybe you were showing up and we just missed it? Would you show us uh, that maybe it's not just that you haven't answered, but you're waiting for us to actually listen to you first, not just talk? God, I pray that we would see that over and over throughout these two parables, Jesus is addressing stuff in our lives, but he's also addressing how we understand you. How much more would you give to us? How much more would you speak? How much more would you listen? How much more would you care? one of these judges that are around here on how much more God would you look at the prayer simple broken surrendered of God would you have mercy on me a sinner so father we've come to you and we're asking for those simple things you would have mercy on us that you would hear as we pray that that the things on our heart would be continually before you so you know that we haven't forgotten we know that you haven't until one day we can see with clear eyes and clarity what you've been doing this whole time and we're thankful not just that we got what we were hoping for but that we got it from a loving father who's been waiting to hand it to a loving child it's in Jesus name we pray Amen. as we take communion uh, what I want us to remember is this is Jesus right uh, if you listen to Mary's prayer in Luke chapter 1 one of my favorite things in that prayer is, is it seems like Mary's uh, understood uh, this Old Testament story where uh, the people that should be giving justice didn't. And so when she uh, is expecting Jesus to arrive in Mary's prayer for the baby that's in her, she's praying, God, finally, you're going to mess with those who are prideful. You're going to lift up the humble. You're going to correct some wrongs. You're going you're to set the world right. And when Jesus sits around the table with his disciples, right, he reminds us that it's my body that's broken for you. Uh, that when, when I'm about to go do what I'm going to do, and I don't think they know what's about to happen yet. Uh, as he says, I want you to be mindful. Because even though it hasn't happened yet, right? Pay attention, even though it hasn't happened yet. It's going to seem like the worst case scenario. It's going to seem like everything you've given your lives to wasn't worth it. It's going to seem like everything's dead. Because I'm going to die. But don't forget, something in that death is going to be for you. So he says, this brokenness, my body broken for you, is actually going to do some healing in you. So eat this to remember me.
And I think one of the weirdest things about the Christian life is that Jesus praying and preparing people for his death and reminding them of what it's going to mean as he lifts up this cup, this reminder of his blood poured out, uh, this purifying thing, the thing that's going to wash over and cleanse us. It's a lot of Old Testament imagery there. Is as he lifts it before he even draws people attention to anything, he does what? Gives thanks. Starts off one of the worst 24-hour periods in human history by being reminded that he's got so much to be thankful for. So as we drink this, what we're reminded is we roll in the same way. We sit around the table with Jesus. We, rem- we remember how much we have to be thankful for, even though feels like night's coming and there's not going to be morning again. It feels like a struggle and we don't know where we're going to come from. So when we drink this, what we do is we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? We're, we're preaching a little bit. Uh, we, we, get to, we get to interact with it. We get to be involved in it. We, from who we are, get to proclaim that, that Jesus' blood did in fact wash over my sin. And no, in the rest of the world, none of that makes sense. But neither does any of the other stuff Jesus talks about. And so when we drink this, uh, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Drink with me. Lord Jesus, we're doing what you've called us to do. We're remembering what you've called us to remember. Not because you need to watch us do it, but because we need to come back because it's too easy for us to forget. God, will we be reminded uh, that that sin and shame uh, was, was forgiven on the cross? And not just stop there, but the tomb you were buried in didn't stay full. The stone rolled away and you walked right out of it. Reminding us that in our own sin and shame, uh, in our own forgiveness, we're not just live, left to be forgiven, uh, we're left to walk this new life as forgiven people. There's freedom involved in that. So Father, as we sing this song, as we worship you, as we go about into the next seven days of the unknown, God, would we walk out of here having gone through that understanding that in your cross we've been forgiven that our sin and shame is gone that when we cry out god have mercy on me a sinner your answer was resoundingly yes but that we also get to come out of the tomb of resurrection too and we remember that we walk in freedom as forgiven people not having to carry the bondage and weight of whatever was behind us but because you're good that we get to live hanging on that Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you guys today. Um, and uh, yeah, in the first service, I said I think Bobby tested positive for um, uh, jet lag. I think is the is the issue. So you know, and I, it's hard to have sympathy for someone who's like you know internationally traveling and just can't make it, and he's on his private jet. No, I'm kidding. But uh, no, good to be with you guys and, and grateful to be here. Um, uh, I think this is my third time in the last 10 years being here and the second time in like the last six months. So uh, I don't know what that pattern shows us, but here we are. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, and, and man, I love, this is like one of my favorite worship spaces uh, in all of our New Life locations. Uh, especially, I think the first time I uh, preached it, we, we were meeting uh, in a middle school uh, in Oaklawn. And I remember thinking like, now this, this is a little bit different than a school cafeteria. This, this feels good. So, uh, but glad to be with you guys. And, and especially as we go through 
uh, we, we've started with, we've been in the parables uh, of Jesus, and we'll continue that through Easter. Uh, and I'm excited about this. And, and so uh, early on, if you were to ask me when I was younger, hey, what Bible stories you remember? Almost all, David and Goliath in the parables. I mean, I feel like that's kind of my, my two zones I've got in. Part of it is uh, I'm a simple guy, so shapes, colors, and simple kid stories really work well for my spiritual life. Uh, and, and Jesus, I love in the parables, what he does is, uh, is he takes, uh, I had a professor in college that would say, you know, this idea of, uh, he would take the cookies off the top shelf and put them on the bottom so everybody could get them, uh, is he takes these complex things about the kingdom of God and brings them to a level where it doesn't matter if you pass the third grade, it doesn't matter uh, where you work, it doesn't matter what culture you grew up in, you, you can take a simple story and unpack it and get the heart of what God's doing. And so Jesus in these parables is helping us kind of see that, but he's also doing something different. It's not just so we understand the parable, it's so we start to understand a little bit more about ourselves. Uh, and, and oftentimes when we read through scripture, and I hope you're a better person than I am, uh, but sometimes I can read through the Bible and hear Jesus teaching, and I can what I'm thinking of is, you know, on, on a bad day, is, is who I can prescribe this to because they need to hear it. You know, I'm, talk, I'm sure you guys are better than me, but I do that sometimes, right? Uh, and you're thinking of, man, this person next to me, I hope they're listening because this is, whoo, you know, they need a word on anger and this morning could have gone different if they would have just listened to Jesus. Uh, and, and so, you know, so in, in all these, I feel like oftentimes we'll, we'll hear these parables and we'll start prescribing them except for realizing when Jesus is teaching them, uh, it, it's him doing the prescription and us are the ones that are supposed to be taking what he's dishing out. And so as we go through here, hopefully you can uh, start using, you know, personal pronouns, me, I, myself, right, that, that kind of deal, as we go through and understand that God has a word for us today. Now, uh, as we go through here, I, I want us to uh, think about this, and you'll find out how not profound it is. How we approach God reveals so much about how we understand Him. How we approach Him reveals so much about how we understand Him. Now, I say that, and you're like, wow, that's really deep. It's really not deep. How you approach me is how you understand me. If we've just met, you're going to be like, oh, hey, Don, yeah, no, it was a good sermon. Okay, good to see you, right? And then you'll leave, because we don't have much in common that we know of, and you don't know me that well. And so it's, uh, the, the interaction will be great, but not deep, and you probably won't ask me about my kids, because you don't know what we got going on there, and you don't know anything, right? So it's kind of different. Now, if, if we've had dinner together, even just one dinner together, you probably know a little bit about my family. You know a little about where I grew up and how I came to Chicago or that I didn't grow up in Chicago. And so you'll, you'll learn all these different things we, because the way you understand me is going to be the way you approach me, right? And so now, now take that into your prayer life and, and uh, follow me uh, on my journey through my prayer life with God. I'm kidding, but kind of. Um, when I was real, my first memory of prayer was me, um, and, and pro just hang with me, and we'll get to good places, right? My first memory of prayer uh, was me treating God like Santa Claus. Here's what I mean, right? Is I would go to God, okay, little kid stuff, right? I would go to God, and I would convince him that I was good, right? And I would ask him for something, and I would leave having no idea whether I was going to get it or not, okay? And that was kind of my, that was my mode of prayer, was, uh, you know, or another imagery I've used before is like a vending machine, right? I put in my prayer, I click the thing I want, and I hope it pops out, right? And that was, on a basic level, that's kind of where I was with God, is kind of this transactional, I give the prayer, you give me the answer, and then we walk out of here good. Here's the hard part, what happens when God doesn't give you that answer? Either, either God's broke, or my prayer's broke, and I start wondering, uh, did I didn't, maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe I didn't say the right words. Maybe all these things didn't work. Or maybe God doesn't work, right? 
So we end up in this spot. Uh, as I grew older, uh, I started realizing the people around me prayed, and so I started trying this way, uh, is sounding like William Shakespeare, I thought would really help my prayer life. And especially the church I was at was a good, like they believed in the Bible, meaning the King James. I'm kidding. But, right? So, you know, so you got to, like, thee thou thoweth on the mountaintops and the valley lows and, you know, the sheepeth of the pastureth and those kind of things. So I thought, maybe I need to do that. And there's only 150 psalms, so maybe it was my job to write the 151st. So every prayer attempt was to sound like William Shakespeare writing that 151st psalm where it sounded eloquent and it was inspiring. And someone in the back's like, this guy knows how to pray, right? And so, so I felt like maybe that was what I needed to do. Uh, and then I realized, uh, you know, I'm a little too blue collar for the William Shakespeare deal, so maybe I need to figure something else out. And I started, the preachers that I started enjoying, or, or the Bible communicators I started loving, were, were people who when they prayed, they would pray really loud. Uh, when they, it was like, and it was like a passionate prayer, not just, you know, oh God, you're a good God. Thank you, God. But man, it was like from the gut, and they were like, like singing while they were praying. And I was like, well, man, maybe I need to pray louder, and maybe I need to pray stronger, and maybe I, you know, and probably the issue is these guys would pray for like 30 minutes, like before they started the sermon. So maybe I need to pray longer, right? So I need to pray louder and more powerful and longer, and that, that's how I'm going to pray. And, and, and so, you know, it sounds like all of you are better prayers than I am, but that's where I was, right? So that was kind of my, my journey in figuring out what this all felt like or sounded like. And I don't know if you've ever watched um, uh, Meet the Parents, Ben Stiller. Uh, do you remember the prayer at, uh, at the dinner table where they ask him as a Jewish guy to pray to their Jesus? Uh, and, and he starts, you know, kind of this, oh God of the heavenly hosts, right? Uh, or like Aunt Bethany from the Christmas story where it's like, you know, say grace and she starts like the Pledge of Allegiance. And, you know, so I felt like that's probably more consistent with my prayer or, or, or where I start praying for, you know, God, uh, you know, here's, man, thank you for everything you've given me. And by the end of it, I'm like, what do they season fries with at that restaurant down the road? And I'm like, who, who was the center on the 72 Houston Rockets team, right? And by the end of it, it's like, I'm not even praying anymore. I'm so away. So, so in all of that, right, trying to figure out how do, we, how do I approach God? What in the world is my voice in this? How do I sound? What does it look like? I had a professor in college who became a mentor to me. And, um, and, and he was the kind of guy that when he talked about God, it was almost like he actually knew him. Uh, he wasn't just a good teacher. He was that. Uh, he didn't just know how to explain things. He did that too. Uh, but was a really kind of quiet guy, uh, way more introverted than I am, uh, way more kind of tamed down personality than what I've got going on. Uh, and, and I remember walking to his office one time and I said, you know, hey, Neil. Uh, and he said, you know, hey, Don, do you, do you want to stay? Uh, I said, sure, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm praying. And I was like, oh, no, 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 like, you know, you can, and not like I don't want to pray with you, more of like I don't want to interrupt, right? And he's like, no, 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 come in. So we sat down and, and what I realized was he was sitting, he had two kind of like armchairs and he had turned them towards each other. I'd sat in them before when we talked. He turned them towards each other. He was sitting in one armchair, praying with his eyes open, talking to the other armchair as though Jesus was sitting in the chair. And it was the first time I'd heard someone like talk normally in their prayer to God. And he was just, you know, God, man, thank you for this morning. It was really good to catch up uh, with, uh, you know, with his, with his wife and, you know, gave her name. Uh, and he's, you know, you know, breakfast this morning with, uh, with the student that he met with. That was really good. And, you know, man, I'm really struggling with this today, though. I've got a class coming up. And I know I'm going to have to have a hard conversation. Would you, would you be with me? And just started this, like, conversation with God. And I remember thinking, that's not how you pray. That doesn't sound like William Shakespeare. You're not treating this guy like Santa Claus. This isn't loud and powerful. But it was honest, and it was from the right heart. 
And so where I want to lead us into today is this, is along the way, I stopped caring about what I was, I, I have stopped caring uh, specifically uh, about what I was praying for because I was now more worried about how I was praying. Uh, not looking at, God, I want this and give me these things and show up in this way and I want to see all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's good to be specific in prayer like that, but I started realizing maybe my issue was more, uh, I wasn't actually being me and I wasn't speaking the way I wanted to be heard. I wasn't talking to God in a way, I was trying to come up with something rather than trying to just talk. And so in this, here's what I would love for you to do, uh, whether you have your phones present, and if not, thank you for coming from the Amish community, glad that you're here. Um, and, and if it, but there's also this thing called paper and pen that still works, so if you've got that, great, pull open a note, grab paper and pen. Here's what I want you to write down. I think it's always helpful to have something in front of you uh, that you can look at, uh, so as we're talking, uh, that, that you can kind of remember that this is what we're carrying through. And also, if somewhere around the second point, you're like, this guy's kind of lame. You can doodle, and that's helpful too. Um, but, but as we go, I want you to, to, to come up with a thought or come up with an answer to this. Think of something you've deeply desired from God, but you've stopped praying for. Think of something, maybe it's over the last two years, 10 years, 30 years, uh, that you've deeply desired, and you've, been, you've prayed about it, but you stopped praying. As uncomfortable I am with silence, we'll give it a little bit. Just something. Okay, Because today we're going to look at two different parables. Uh, they follow each other. Jesus connects them together. Uh, but they're two different stories that kind of lead us in the same direction. Uh, it's where he helps us look at our prayer life and start adjusting it towards God. And, and he doesn't ask us to change what we're praying for, though there's a little bit of that. And he doesn't ask us to change our vocabulary, though that is a symptom of it. What he's asking us to do is to take an internal uh, triage of our soul and figure out uh, where is our prayer coming from. Uh, how do we view ourselves? How do we view Him? What, what, what it, how do we encounter God when we pray? Because hopefully, and I think Scripture does this, and prayer definitely does this, I hope you find a new voice in your prayer. I hope uh, that you find a new heart to pray from. I hope you find a new persistence uh, when it doesn't feel like God's listening uh, to, to, to have the endurance in prayer to not stop. Uh, I want us to look at a couple of uh, things, and here's kind of how I'm going to couch them, is uh, Jesus' extreme lessons about prayer. And I say extreme because he uses extremes. In the first one, he's going to use the extreme uh, of, of this judge, uh, ultimate power, authority to do whatever, say whatever it happens because he said it, and then this widow who can't seem to be heard or seen by anybody, two extremes. And then he gives this other example in our second parable uh, of this one is a Pharisee. So kind of like the, uh, the, the most respected spiritual leader in the community, who if you read the Bible looks like the bad guy, but to everybody else, that's, that's who you want to be like. And then he gives this other example of uh, the tax collector, who's kind of this dirtbag nobody that we all grew up with, but turned his back on us, is now milking us out of our money. So he uses these two extremes to teach us an extreme lesson on prayer. Uh, the first one I want us to look at is this, is for us to pray with extremely persistent faith. To pray with extremely persistent faith. He uses extremes, right, to remind us that this is beyond kind of our comfort zone. It goes out on a limb. It's going to require uh, faith. But to pray with extremely persistent faith, to keep going even when we feel like he's not listening, even when we feel like he doesn't care, even when we don't know if he's even listening or real is to keep praying with persistent faith. Sometimes we need reminded of this. 
uh, that you can keep praying because God keeps listening and he's not done working. That you can keep praying because God keeps listening and he's not done working. Even though we don't see it. I love there's Old Testament stories where they come to the brook and the brook's dry and don't know what's happening. And the Bible lets us, right, whoever's narrating it, takes us to a whole different scene upstream where God releases the river and it's already flowing. We already know that he stopped it. He's flowing. But all the guy can see right in front of him is that it's dry. He doesn't know what's coming. He doesn't know how God's working. All he sees is this. And I hope we can start seeing some of that in our own prayer life because you can keep praying because God keeps listening. He's not done working. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Says he told them the parable to this effect, or so that they would, uh, for, for someone like that, that they always ought, they ought always to pray and they ought always not to lose heart. Right? Uh, the purpose of the first parable, one, it, it's for us to be reminded you should always pray. Uh, and not like, you know, uh, you can't hold a job. It's like, I, Mom, I would get a job, but I have to pray, right? Uh, how am I supposed to, like, maintain income if, if I'm, uh, Bible says to pray continually. i got to do that, right? So it's not this idea of stopping everything to start something. It's to carry that prayer with you in everything you do. It's, it's to naturalize it as though it's like breathing. Where no matter where you're going, how you're doing, whether you're waiting for the train or preparing for a test or dealing with someone's attitude, dealing with your own attitude, is that as you're, as you're in every one of those moments, God is with you, you're talking with him, he's shaping you, he's molding you, he's pointing stuff out, he's pointing you to people, he's calling you to draw back, he's calling you to press in, and all this because you're just continually praying with him as he goes, that you should always pray. If Paul tells the uh, church in Ephesus in uh, chapter 6, Verse 18, he says, you should pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Meaning this, whether you think what you've got to pray for is so small, God, I know this probably doesn't matter to you because you've got a lot going on with Russia and Ukraine right now, but man, this is, uh, this is what I got. Or whether it's so big and you're like, God doesn't care about stuff like this, he probably isn't going to do anything, uh, so I just won't. And the reminder is, all of that. Pray all of it. God wants all of it. He wants to talk to you about all of it. He wants to reveal some stuff to you about all of it. He wants to show you things about all of it. He wants to show you that when his, uh, his, his end result comes to that prayer, that if you're following him through the journey, you'll be ready for all of it. And then the second one is this, is that you shouldn't give up, right? You ought not to lose heart. Uh, you ought not to lose faith. You ought not to pull back. You ought to keep pressing in how often have you given up praying simply because you didn't see any movement by the time you expected it just because it didn't happen at the right time i'm just going to stop what ends up happening when we stop talking to god we stop expecting god and we stop paying attention to god and we kind of detach from god and then we're left out on our own and we got to hitch that wagon to something and so we either try to push it ourselves, we hope something else has the answer, and the entire time we ask, almost like the vending machine, was it my prayer that was broken, or was it God? So he says this, here's this parable, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, right? And the same way that God asked the, uh, or the, the, the man who was uh, the, the expert in the law comes, Jesus says, what's the greatest command? Love God, love people. This guy didn't do either, Right? But he's the judge. Historically, in, in, in Israel or in, in, in Judah, he would have been the one, he should have been the one, that because of his fear for God and his love for God, he then loved and cared for people. In the Old Testament, it gives us teaching. His job was because of his position with God and in culture was to make sure that the people that weren't being looked out for had an advocate that was making sure justice was sent out wherever it was going. 
He said there was also, not just that person, but there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. You see the two extremes. The judge who has the power to do all of it, the widow who has power to do none of it. Now, there's so much brokenness around us, and oftentimes, it's not just because Satan is at work, and he is, but sometimes there's injustice and brokenness around us because God's people aren't working. The guy that was supposed to be doing it doesn't care. And so you've got a widow who's got an adversary who's coming against her, and she's got no one to help her because the guy that should be helping her doesn't care. God's instruction to these Old Testament judges was out of their fear of God. They're to look out for the oppressed. So this judge who is supposed to be the one in power, and he is in power, is looking out for those who are, is supposed to be looking out for those who are left out. But listen, right? Before we turn this guy into the bad guy, just like you and me, sometimes it's just easier to not be bothered and to not do anything. It's easier to keep the window rolled up than have to talk to the guy at the stoplight. Right? It's easier because I'm hurrying to class. It's easier because i got to make the train. It's easier uh, because I'm just tired and I don't want to do it to not do anything. So before we make the judge the bad guy, you know this guy appointed by God to be him in the world that he lives in and to look out for people that no one's looking out for, like us? Before we make him the bad guy, let's make him us. And so in this story, what you find then is there's also the second character. The widow comes as the best example of the oppressed. Uh, the best example of the one who's left out. And here's why. Remember, uh, right, in 2022 in Chicago, uh, that this is not 2022 in Chicago. This is first century uh, Israel, or Roman Empire. Uh, here's a couple things we got to know. One, she's the best example of the oppressed. One, uh, because of her chromosomes. She's a woman. Legally, uh, if she saw a murder happen and she was the only one, that testimony would not be valid in the courtroom she would have walked in. So, so nobody's listening to her purely just because of that. The second thing is this, because not only uh, is she a woman, but she's a widow. She doesn't even have a, a, a guy next to her that could advocate for her in the court. So not only does she not, is she not the right person, she doesn't have the right people around her to do that. And the third one is that she's poor. Now, that's a general assumption, uh, but I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, that is going to be an accurate assumption of a widow in this time. Meaning this, if you've got a, a crooked judge, right, and a crooked system uh, that doesn't care about God and doesn't care about people, she doesn't even have a $20 bill to slip into the bailiff's pocket to get her to the front of the line. So there's no way she's got the ability to get in front of the judge to talk about the thing that's breaking her life. She's already got enough brokenness, but now there's, she's got nothing, and now there's someone coming against her to take whatever little she's got left. Do you know what it's like to have nothing and no one, and you're struggling just to be seen and heard? you got stuff going on, things that you care about, stuff you're feeling, stuff you're perceiving, stuff you're dealing with from your past and your childhood and your parents and all kinds of stuff, stuff that you've done that's jacked up and you don't know how to talk about it. And not to know if anybody's listening or hearing you, and you don't even know how to get to the front of the line to even be heard. You've prayed, God's not answered. You've asked people, they don't care because you're bothering them. And in the same way, what we find here is that the judge has extreme power and the widow has an extreme need for him to intercede. So verse 4 says, For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, 
though I neither fear God nor respect man, at least he's self-aware, right? So we've got that going on. Even though, right, though I neither fear God nor respect man, but because this widow keeps bothering me. I love that that's even the language. Because she's pestering, because she's a nuisance, because I don't want to deal with her anymore. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So she'll stop knocking on my door. Uh, this has nothing to do with compassion, love, or desire for justice, though at least he knows what he's been denying her is the thing she's looking for. He knows what she's looking for is justice. And he knows he's been the one saying no to it. So deal with that however you want to. Uh, he doesn't want her bothering him anymore and doesn't want her ruining his reputation. Right? Kind of the like, I'll keep turning away, but now you're starting to make a scene. Now people are looking at me as the guy that's never helping this widow lady. I don't want to mess with all that. So one, you were bothering me by knocking. Now you're bothering me by showing up. And just because you're bothering me and I don't want to be bothered, I'm going to deal with this. Right? So he's just trying to relax and take it easy, and she's making him look bad. And so now it's become a hard thing for him, so he's going to deal with it. And the Lord said this. So this is Jesus talking. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his uh, elect or his chosen who cry out to him day and night? Will he not delay long over them? Right? Will he not uh, uh, quickly deal with it? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Uh, think about it this way. As we can look at this and go, okay, so we just have to keep pestering God, and when he's done with us bothering him, then he'll, like, he just doesn't want us bothering him, so he'll just do whatever, right? But the image is not look how God is like the judge. It's look at what the judge, and, and this is just a normal judge. This is a normal dude who just doesn't want to be bothered. But he still gives justice because of her persistence and her faith. So then he says, how much more will God not want to walk with you through your stuff because you trust him and you keep showing up? Because you trust him, you're not stopping. And when God sees, it's not because you want something out of the vending machine, but you want something with him and for him together as you're walking. And we start to see in this story, Jesus doesn't tell this story to equate God with the judge. He tells it to us to magnify God's heart of listening and caring, God's desire for justice, even if the unjust judge would have responded based off of persistence and patience and perseverance, will not God not do more so for his kids? The judge acts because he doesn't want to look bothered and he doesn't want to look bad. God acts because he loves his children and he loves justice. God promises quick justice, but have you ever noticed that God's idea of quick is different than yours? Right? Uh, quick is like, hey, I asked for it, and it's been like five seconds, so I'm kind of figuring out why you said you'd come really quick, and this, this feels like really quick, and you're not here, so I got some questions, right? And, and, and think about this. God never started. God never ended. He's not in a hurry, right? God's idea of quick may be massively different than your idea of quick. And so I love this quote when I was reading Warren Wearsby, who used to be a professor at Moody, pastor in Chicago, said this, that God's delays are not the delays of inactivity, but of preparation. That just because God didn't answer it now doesn't mean he's not working or he's not listening. Uh, maybe he's waiting for us to change before the situation changes. Because here's what I know. The times where I've gotten what I've asked for, but I wasn't ready for it, I didn't really care who it came from. How it, I, I'm just glad that I got the thing out the vending machine because it made my life a little bit easier. 
I can move on, I can be happy, I can do my thing. What happens when God wants to make you the right kind of person to have the right kind of answer so that you continue in the right kind of way? Well, that takes a little bit more time. It takes a little bit more interior readjusting in our lives, and we just rather have the thing that we asked for. So we end up kind of sounding more like a four-year-old in the toy aisle at, at, at Target uh, than we do one of God's children that wants something for the father. We sound more like the prodigal son who just wants his dad's stuff but doesn't want anything to do with the dad. And so what God's reorienting our heart towards in this, what Jesus is bringing to light in this parable, and I'm spending too much time because we've got a whole other parable, is this idea, right? That, that, that God wants us to come to him because we want him. And we want justice because we know he wants it. And we want our lives to change because we know he wants our lives to change. So that when the answer to his prayer comes, we've already been transformed to be ready for the answer of that prayer when it comes. And the question is this. Jesus asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Uh, we need to evaluate ourselves and ask this question. When God shows up to me, does he find faith? Does he find trust? Uh, does he find that I'm faithful to him so he can be faithful with me? He'll be faithful no matter what. But does he see it coming back? Does God find faith or does he find hurry? Because if I'm in a hurry and he doesn't answer quickly, I'm going to go somewhere else to find the answer. Right? And that's usually all of our sin stories, brokenness stories, messed up stories, gross stories. So when we look at this, is God looking for someone that's in a hurry or does he look for someone that's, that's deep in their faith? What's God telling us to do? Because he chose us, he's still listening, so keep praying. Because he chose us, he's still working, so keep praying. And I need to remind myself, and this is going to sound really cheesy, I write it when I'm, if I write prayers down, because I, I tend to think faster than I write, so it slows me down a little bit, is, is this idea of praying attention. I know that's like a 90s youth group shirt, but just hang with me, all right? Is this idea of like, not just, not just like, okay, am I paying attention to God? Am, am I like praying my way through that? Am, 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 are my eyes looking out, right? It's the idea of the watchman like scanning the horizon. Do I see God activity somewhere? Do I see him moving? Do I see him showing me something? Is, is there stuff, even though nothing's happening yet, are there things on the horizon that I should be looking for so I kind of know what's coming down the line? Uh, am I watchful so that when he's moving, I'm ready? The longer I pray, the more I'm able to pay attention, not just to the result, but how God's working before I see the result. Uh, the second story shows up this way in Jesus' extreme lessons on prayer is this, to pray with extremely genuine humility. That sounds like a really God thing to say, Right? Pray with extremely genuine humility. The hard part for us is sometimes we're so close to ourselves, we don't know when it's arrogance and pride or when it's genuine humility. So sometimes we'll pray for things thinking we're doing it the right way, uh, but we've not done the deep interior work to find out what's our hearts doing? What is our soul doing? Who are we really? How do we really view God? How is this really? Do I really view myself the way God views me? Do I see myself in these ways? So, so, so as we unpack this, uh, think about it, right? Go back to the, you know, William Shakespeare and all that kind of prayer. It's not even about sounding eloquent or, or using the right words here. It's not even about being able to come up with the right kind of thing. Because we can start thinking this way, right? And hang with me if, you know, whatever. We can start sounding like Harry Potter casting a spell, hoping that the way we wave our prayer around and the right words and, and that that is all going to do the thing that we want it to do. Uh, it sounds like an incantation rather than a conversation before our Father. Uh, God, I'm going to say it this way because you, you, know, uh, you said to say it this way. So I'm, I'm trying to do what you, I'm just trying to mimic your thing and I don't know, I hope this works, right? How should we, uh, you know, I kind of want 
you to shift something in my job, but I guess I'll just pray our Father heart in heaven because you told me to do that. And so it's like, hopefully that works, right? And not just to mimic prayers, but to come to God with a different kind of place. God cares about a humble, genuine, honest disposition in your heart and in the words of your prayer, which is why David, in Psalm 51, after being completely broken, wrecking his family, screwing everything up, prays, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, that is what you desire. It's the same thing that we have when Paul tells the church in Rome uh, that the right kind of worship is to offer your body as a living sacrifice, to put everything you've got up on the altar. I'm not too proud to be able to put my whole self up there and say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm here. However you want this to go, I'm ready for it. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, he also told this parable to some, right? Pay attention to the word because he's going to tell us why he's telling us the parable. Because there's some people out there, not you, you all look like really good people, but there's some of us out there, right, who trust in ourselves that we're righteous and treat others with contempt. That word contempt is tricky. Jesus uses it in the, um, uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? When he says, don't even call someone a fool, or don't, you know, that word raka, right? It's the term of contempt. Uh, Not even being angry with someone, but when you start looking at people like they're not even human or worth it, is the idea. So this is for the kinds of people out there. Again, not you, you all look great, but someone out there who trust that we ourselves are righteous and treat others with contempt. Jesus tells his audience his intentions again. One, don't be confident in your own righteousness. Uh, They were spiritually full of themselves good before God because of what they'd done, right? And they looked down on everyone else. That was the issue. There's a problem when you are spiritually confident but socially condescending. Spiritually confident but socially condescending. And Jesus has something to say about it. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, right? And all of a sudden, we're like, that sounds great. It's Sunday, it's church, or Saturday. But you know what I'm saying. Like, they're going to church together, this is fine, until we find out what's going on with the two. One was a Pharisee, and the other one was a tax collector. Uh, This is like equating a seminary professor and a crooked politician. We'd be like, oh, we've already got this one figured out. We know who's going to do the right thing, right? Or you've got the neighborhood's respected pastor and, like, the neighborhood's known drug dealer on the corner. You're walking in, Jesus is walking the church in on an assumption that we know who's right. And he extremely crashes the whole thing. The Pharisee, standing by himself, right? Uh, Not for any reason other than he's not part of the rest of them. He has a special place to pray because of who he is. Prayed this way, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. Extortioners. Unjust. Adulterers. Or even like this tax collector saying it in a way where the guy could hear him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything that I get. You hear that? What the Pharisee is thankful for is that he's got more willpower, stronger resistance, moral superiority than everyone else. Thanks that I'm stronger than these weak people. Right? Thank you, God, that you've built me in a way to where crack does not sound appealing, but all these people just do whatever, look at, look at, their, look at how they're living because they don't have the strength that I've got, right? Uh, look at how you've wired me to stay away, right? That I've not done these things because I've been so strong and I'm so yours and I'm so godly and my position, look at who I am and they aren't. And what we start to find out is he's praying, thank you, God, that I'm not an adulterer, Right? My guess is when he goes home, his wife's not super thankful that he's the person that came home. 
Thank you, I'm not like all these people who wreck their marriages, right? And you look at the marriage, and you're like, you're, pretty, you're still here, but this is pretty broken. It sounds like how most of us have started our arguments over any given topic over the past couple years. Thank you, I'm not dumb like those people. Because there's no way you could be smart and think that. Thank you that I'm superior. I don't know how in the world they would come to those conclusions. Even like this tax collector, so this guy could hear him, I I do all the spiritual practice I'm extremely devout. Thank you that I'm not evil and corrupt, but I'm better than all these other people. And here's the hard part for us to understand. He was doing all the right things, but from a wrong place. It's easier for us to justify what we are to do than it is to justify our motives for doing it. Do I give? Well, of course I give. Why wouldn't I give? Well, why do you give? Because I want to be the giver. Or is it because God's already given? It's pride versus humility. So then he shifts scenes over to the tax collector in verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off. Notice, neither of them are standing with the people and praying. The Pharisee seemingly has found a spot where everyone can hear him and see him as he prays. The tax collector found himself the spot in the back corner so nobody knows he's even in the room. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up into heaven, but he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see the posture. This guy's too broken and distressed to look up. He's beating his chest, which culturally is this sign of of mourning or grief or repenting, as though to physically acknowledge a broken heart on the inside. And he prays, not God, thank you that I'm better than all these people, but God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm not assuming I'm in good standing. I already know who I am. And the only reason I wouldn't be that is if you would give me mercy. He says, I tell you, this man went to, right? He's talking about the tax collector. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Two guys walking into the same house of worship before a holy God. One spends his time arrogantly displaying his prideful heart. The other spent his time bearing his genuinely humble heart. We've got to check ourselves. Why do you go to church? Because I go to church. Or do you go to church because you need the God that's going to show up there with these people? They'll show up to you in your apartment too. But is it because, man, there's some sin in here and I need a merciful God. Would you speak to me? Would you show up? Or is it because, well, because I'm the kind of guy that goes to church. How do you come to God and how do you stand before others? Verse 14 Jesus goes on and says, right, and I'll read again, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. It's a strong word of warning. But then he goes on and says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And this is the paradox of the kingdom of God. It's the upside down way that the kingdom of God lives. If you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, uh, the Spirit will transform your way of thinking. If you want to be a citizen of the United States, you have to come, get a green card for a little bit, and then you'll naturalize through a process as a citizen. Nothing inside of you needs to change. There's just stuff that, uh, that, that shows up and is provided to you that changes. In the kingdom of God, it's not just about belonging somewhere, but it's about becoming the person who belongs somewhere. It's not just, oh yeah, no, now I'm saved. It's about the person that knows the humility it takes. It's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because we know if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't belong. And it shifts the way we pray. If you keep puffing yourself up, man, you're going to be humbled because pride comes before the fall. It doesn't come before the opportunity. 
doesn't come before the exaltation. It doesn't come before everyone's looking at you. Fanfare, a million followers on Instagram, as though that actually means anything. It comes before you fall miserably. Just look around church culture over the last couple decades. Humility may look like the way to get to the top until they fall. And you start to see something. If you keep working to live from a humble posture, man, God's going to take you places you never imagined. Because God will look down at the people kneeling at the cross and figure out a way, how do I use this one more? How do we do more with that? How can I trust him with more things? How do I give her more opportunities? How do we, how do we show up to that person? Because they're already in the right place, not just wanting the right place. The arrogant, holier-than-thou guy went home looking as good and living as empty as when he walked in. The tax collector, with a reputation and sin baggage, went home with a weight lifted off of his shoulders, justified standing before God, made right before God and good standing before God. The Pharisee here lives as though he's right even though he's buried under the full weight of sin. Right? Meaning, the gram's looking good. But real life is showing some discrepancies. The tax collector walks away and not a single person views him differently except for God. Walks with the full weight of sin being taken off of him and he's walking in freedom. For some of us, The only thing that's holding us back from the life that we've been called to is that we're still sitting on the throne in the center of our lives instead of God. We're still wanting to be in charge. We still want to make decisions. We still want to be the one in charge of anything. And here's a question that's been asked of me, and I hope it's helpful for you. How's that going for you, sitting on the throne? You're doing a great job. Everything working out perfect. Feel feel great. Because I can tell you this. When God's on that throne, right in the center where he belongs... And the kingdom is what you are a part of. Not your like little shack kingdom over like out in a field somewhere, but like the kingdom of God. And you belong there. And you sit under that. And when you ask your God for stuff, it's not the unjust judge that you have to convince. It's your father who loves you and chose you and died for you. That, that's who you get to ask those things of and talk about those things and work those things through with. I love this story Jesus tells, and I'll finish up here. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Uh, Jesus uh, gives his disciples a a, a little bit of a window into, hey, if you want to follow me, you want to be one of my disciples, uh, you want to do what I do, how I do it, and the way I do it, you want to love people the way I love them in the manner that I... If if you want to see what it looks like for God to show up on earth and for you to have some part in that, here's what it looks like. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, right? And all of a sudden there, we're like, "Ah, that doesn't sound too great, Right? Because I, I, I like to give my, I, I like things to go my way. Because it really works much better for me. My preferred version is when everybody does what I want them to, right? And again, I know you're not like that, but some of us out here work that way, right? But he says, hey, you're going to have to put all that stuff, you're going to have to get rid of all that. In fact, he says, you're going to have to take up your cross. And this is before they even knew what he was talking about with the actual cross. You're going to have to carry something, Right? That's a constant reminder of suffering. Are, are you willing to struggle? Because if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't just follow him when he's beckoning the children to come unto me. You've got to follow him when it's, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've got to follow him with God, if, if anything, take this cup from me. But if not, your will be done. It's that kind of following. You're going to have to take up your cross and then you can follow me because whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And then this follow-up question, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Here's what we know in those stories. The judge gave up his soul. He's got position, power. He can be, uh, he, he has the ability to not care as opposed to the widow who all she does is care because she can't change anything. Forfeit his soul, but lost the whole world or gained the whole world. Uh, what, what about in the other one, the Pharisee who had everything, prestige, power, position, uh, everyone looked to him like he had it all going on, but he gave up his soul in the process. It's the other two that, that because of where their soul was could approach God in a certain and different way. Some of us have stopped praying. So you took your eyes off of what God was doing. Here's my challenge is to bring all that back up. Whatever you wrote down at the beginning is to keep pressing in. Uh, keep, keep praying. Keep praying for justice. Keep praying for opportunity. Keep praying for healing. Keep praying for comfort. Pre- keep praying because he's faithful. Show him that you are too. I don't need to go anywhere else. Even if it didn't happen in my time frame, I'd rather your answer come later than my answer come quicker. I'd rather what you want to happen, even if it's next year, rather than what I want to happen. Because even if it does, I know I'm going to be back in the same place in three months asking you again. And some of you need to continue to, as you continue to pray, you continue to come to worship, you continue showing up to groups. And if you're really like one of God's people, you'll listen to Caleb and Moody, right? Uh, But you've lost sight of how much of God's grace is actually holding you up. Because it's easy to be pushing, it's easy to be plowing, it's easy to be heading to the target, it's easy to try to mark off your accomplishments and reach all your goals and do all your stuff, and you forget how much of God's grace is holding you up because we're too busy tearing everyone else down. Here's the reality, is when we start tearing everyone else down, more gets torn down in us than it does in them. And so when God shows up, he's not so much concerned about the answer to your prayer. So much as walking with us, shaping us, and shifting us, and transforming in us the kind of person that no matter how God answers the prayer, we're already on the same page with him. Get it? In one way, he could say no, and you could, your life could be completely devastated. In the other way, he could say no, and you can see why he said no. Because you see something different. right? And you've had these moments. God, I, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust. When he comes, will he find trust? A faithful people. I'm going to trust that you're going to work this together for my good too, even if I don't see it now. I trust that there's stuff working down the pipeline that you're going to have. And, and I'm, I'm, I trust you more than I trust the result to my prayer. Maybe for some of you, there's, there's a bit of a Pharisee or an unjust judge in you, and you need to repent and come to Jesus just like the tax collector with that God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's a part of us, we got to bring that back up on the, on the altar, and we need to sacrifice that and say, God, would you take this? Because there's something wrong in me, right? It's not just the newspapers that lie about everything. We lie about ourselves, would we take a look in and say, God, there's something in here that I need to identify and put it back on there? Would you stand and pray with me? Lord Jesus, God, even as we come to pray before you, God, I pray that we would be able to talk to you as people who don't have it all figured out. Uh, who even in the moments where we've tried, um, man, we can look back at some shrapnel and some explosions of things that just didn't go well.
So God, a lot of us are coming to you uh, with, with some of that tax collector in us. Uh, maybe we're not viewed well. Maybe we're not seen well. Maybe, maybe the way we carry ourselves has not been well. Maybe we've actually turned our back on the people uh, that, that have loved us. But God, I pray that we see what the, the hero that Jesus gives in this story, at least the human hero, is the one that doesn't care about all of that, that just cares about being before you. Asking you to have mercy because we see the sin in us. And we know that that can't be solved in any other way than you having mercy on our lives. God, there's some of us uh, who need to get back to praying for things that we gave up on. God, there's some of us that need to start praying because we gave up on you. And so, Father, would we hear this invitation from Jesus through the storytelling of two unlikely heroes and two unlikely villains to remind ourselves sometimes uh, there's that dark stuff in us that just goes unchecked because we're not looking for it. And sometimes there's, there's transformation. There's, there's, there's a, 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 a part of us that, that isn't maturing because we've stopped coming to you. So God, would we heed these words of Jesus when he so carefully looked at his church and didn't just care that we look right in culture, but that we were right when we're by ourselves. That in our prayers to you, in the, in the most intimate moments of our conversation where it's not about anybody else or anything else, it's not about our position with our company, uh, our, our future job once we graduate, it's not about any of that stuff. It's purely just about who we are when we stand before you. God, would you fix that stuff? Would you have mercy on those things? Uh, would you be faithful to bring justice when it's that stuff that we're carrying? Father, we give all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we take communion together, um, got to make sure I have it. There we go. We're good. As we take communion together, uh, what I would love, uh, man, think about this, is what we see in Scripture uh, what it brings me to is this, after these two stories, I'm reminded of, of Mary's prayer. Uh, when the angel comes and says, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you'll have a child. He's Jesus, he's Christ the Lord. That's crazy. It's a little extreme, right? And I love that the prayer that comes out of her, my theory is this, Luke is a, a journalist. He's the one doing all this hard work. I think Luke is sitting with Mary and Mary's telling him, this is, this is what I was praying when I found out. And so what we hear is, is Mary praying and the people that are prideful are going to be toppled. The humble are going to be elevated. The, the ones that are poor are going to have a position. She starts praying these kinds of prayers because she knows that when the Savior comes, when the Messiah comes, when God shows up, He's going to bring justice. He's going to be with His people. He's going to listen to those that nobody's listening to. The people that feel like they haven't been seen, He's going to look at them. Remember those stories in the Bible? The people feel like God has stopped listening to them. Jesus is going to sit and listen to their stories. Do you remember those stories? So when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he breaks this bread before his disciples, the, the, the people that have been following him, he knows what's coming. It's going to be one of the roughest 24 hours of those guys' lives because they're going to see everything they hoped for dashed. Whether they were hoping that Israel would become this massive kingdom of prominence again in the region and the Roman Empire would be dashed, or whether they thought God was actually going to show up for his people, they're going to watch that promise die on a cross. And his reminder is, right? He got the wafer. 
says, eat this bread in remembrance of me. Because when my body's broken, there's going to be the brokenness in you that's fixed. So it's not the end. It's not the bad answer. It's not hopes dashed. This is the answer. My brokenness will bring healing. So we eat this to remember him. And in the same way, again, picture it, one of the worst 24 hours of the disciples' lives. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows the death. He knows the hurt, the pain. He knows that everyone's going to feel hopeless. But he lifts the cup and he gives what? Thanks. Because even though it's not going to turn out the way they want it to, even though the story's not going to finish the way they hoped for, Jesus knows there's still so much to be thankful for. And as he gives thanks, he reminds them, this is the covenant, new covenant of my blood. Meaning what's about to happen when that blood gets poured out, it's actually going to wash over and, and fix all the problems. It's going to mess with the sins that's holding you back. It's going to release that so you can go forward. My covenant with you is not going to be off of who your great, 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 great grandpa or grandma was. And because you're part of that line, it's going to be because you're connected to me. So when we drink this blood, we remember death on the cross poured out for us. We drink to remember him. Lord Jesus, Father, as we prayerfully have been able to adjust our hearts a little bit this morning, to hear from your word, to pay attention to you, to, to see things different, to, to see what's going on in us, maybe a little soul triage of finding out what in there isn't right so that you can deal with it and work on it. God, my prayer is this. There's so much of our own lives that are stuck in darkness, that are stuck in anxiety, uh, that are stuck in pain of unmet expectations, uh, of, of struggling for things because we don't know uh, what the answer, we can't see what you see. God, my prayer is this, is that we would deny ourselves of all of that, that we would take up the cross, we would follow you, that we would put all that stuff to death but be reminded that uh, when you went into the tomb, you didn't stay there. And in the same way we put to death all of that, God, we, we just want to be with you. And as we're with you, what happens is we, we come out of that resurrected tomb. There's, there's hope and, 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 and walking in forgiveness that flows out of that. God, would you, would you impress that on us so we would be reminded? We just need to sit with you. We need to talk with you because we need your peace. We need your hope. We need to be reminded of your love. We need to be reminded of your grace so that we would have that mercy on us as sinners to walk home with weight lifted, baggage given away, and walking towards you in righteousness. So Father, we give all that to you in Jesus' name. Amen.